In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I don't have a lot of people today. Um, uh, do you remember last time what we talked about? No? Okay. So last week, um, in the book of Nehemiah, we had spoken about the details of the building of the wall. And we spoke about how Nehemiah started um, building uh, from the top. or It's not really starting since they all built at the same time, but the description starts with um, kind of the north side of the city, um, going down the west side, and then the south, and then back up on the east side again. And so the construction process had begun, um, and they had built up to like halfway. So they, they built all around, but about half the height of the final wall. Um, and there was uh, resistance from Sanballat, who was the governor of Samaria, and some of the others who were there, um, not wanting them to complete the work. We spoke about that. Um, and how the workers, Nehemiah had appointed, uh, you know, he, he had established different things. One is he had established some group of people to be always on guard. Um, other people he told to be like working with one hand while having a weapon in the other hand. Um, and there was also a person who had like a, a trumpet so they could like sound an alarm whenever um, the enemies were seen. And uh, Nehemiah had told everyone that whenever you hear the, 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 the horn blow, um, that everyone would gather together in that place to protect um, the city. So that's um, what we had covered last time. Um, but in addition to uh, the building of the wall, uh, there were also additional problems. Um, the, the two other main problems that we see, and, uh, number one is there is famine. Um, so there is a lack of food, enough for everyone. Um, and it's also uh, oppression. Um, of the poor by the rich, even among the Jewish people themselves. And so in this chapter, chapter 5, we're going to see how Nehemiah deals with these other problems. In addition to like the actual construction, um, he's dealing with the, pe the problems of the people. And this, again, kind of um, tells us uh, and shows us something about how like when we are leading a group of people, maybe our goal is, you know, we have a specific goal in mind, but in order to get there, we have to deal with the issues of the people that come up, right? Because if we are relying on the people to do the work, then the, the problems of the people become our problems, right? And it requires for us to do something. Oh, I'm not, uh, sh I'm not uh, sharing the thing. So the, 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 the uh, Nehemiah was very wise in that he didn't just focus only on, uh, no, let's just finish the work and get it done. But he, he also took the time to deal with this, these other problems that, that were, were coming up um, with the people. So it says, and there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. Okay, so the Jewish brethren here is referring to um, the rich people, the rich Jews, okay, um, because they had lent money to the poor. Why? Because um, as uh, a province of Persia, okay, the people were still required to pay taxes to the king, right? The poor people didn't have money to pay the taxes, so the rich among the Jewish people were the ones who were, were lending money to the poor in order for them to be able to pay the taxes. But they were exacting usury. Usury means like interest. They were, they were, they were collecting a lot of interest, um, so much that the poor people couldn't pay, and it was actually causing them to have to sell their children into slavery um, in order for them to be able to pay. So this was the, the problem that was happening at the time, and that's why there was this, this outcry. The rich people who were there were the people who had returned to Israel from captivity earlier. So if you remember, there are 
several returns, right? The f this were the Nehemiah is coming back as the third and the final return from captivity. A um, hundred years earlier, uh, the the f the first group of people uh, returned, and those people who had now established themselves living there for some time had more wealth and possessions. Okay, and they had acquired wealth in Babylon, and they had brought it with them. Okay, and so those people were wealthy, were able to pay the taxes, everything. They were lending the money to the poor, but the poor were not able to um, to pay it back. Um, also, one of the reasons that these people uh, uh, were wealthy was because they were refusing to spend the money um, to build the temple. Um, and actually, God had sent Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, to them earlier in order to rebuke them for spending all of their money on their own things and their own houses rather than on rebuilding the house of God. So so this group of people, this wealthy group of people, uh, were, were causing a lot of these issues. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands, our vineyards, and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. So there was a famine, right? And the poor were not able to eat. And so the poor would resort to selling their land in order to be able to pay for food. Uh, there were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Okay, so there's another group of people who um, are in debt by having borrowed money from the wealthy in order to pay the tax, okay, which they did not, uh, were not able to pay. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and indeed we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Okay, so he's saying, you know, we had to sell our children into slavery to be able to pay. And now, because we have sold also our lands, we are not able to buy them back again. We're not able to redeem them back again because we have no money at all. And the rich, because they were demanding a high amount of interest from the poor, which they could not repay, um, again, there was no way for them to, uh, to, to make the money to be able to buy back their children um, again. And actually, um, if you read in the Old Testament, so the Old Testament actually permitted um, selling children into slavery. Um, but it did not permit the usury or the 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 the, the charging of interest um, whenever you're making like a personal loan to someone. In Exodus chapter 21, it says, "Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them: If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself." he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever." And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. So this verse or these verses here speak about several things regarding slavery. Um, so it's speaking about if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years and the seventh he shall go out free. So there was a slavery, um, but it was for a temporary period of time for a period of six years. And then after the seventh year, he is free. OK. Um, and 
He's saying now there's some conditions on like if he is coming single, if he is coming married, if he if he marries while he's a slave and he has children, um, all of these different rules. And then he says at the end, if the if the servant during at the time when he is free to leave, if he says, no, I love my master and I love my wife and children like the ones that he married while he was in slavery, I choose not to go out like I choose to remain a slave under uh, my master because I love him and I do not want to go. Um, he says that there is this ritual that is to be done. And the ritual is to um, take uh, an awl, which is like a piece of metal, like a sharp piece of metal, and to pierce his ear with an awl, right, into a door. It's like he shall bring him to the door, like a wooden door, and he should take the awl and pierce his ear into the door. Sounds kind of um, brutal. Um, but actually, this is a symbol of Christ, okay? It's a symbol of the cross. Because Christ, he willingly, out of his love, chose to sacrifice himself for us. It wasn't something that was, like, um, against his will. It, was something, it wasn't something he was compelled to do. And so, just as here, this sign of love that is the servant to his master is to allow his ear to be pierced, right, into the wood, so also the nails of the, of the, of the cross that pierced the flesh of Christ into the wood of the cross. This is a sign um, also um, of love. So that was the part about the slavery. Um, what about the usury? Okay, so in Leviticus 25, it says, Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. So he was saying, when you lend like to someone, the purpose of lending is love. Like you are lending because you want to help. Right, you're lending to someone because he is in need and you want to help him, and he will pay you back. But you are not doing it as a business, right? Like you're not doing it in order to make money and to exploit anyone. You're doing it simply um, out of love. Um, Saint Hilary said, "Nothing is more unbearable than to give benefit to a poor man that makes him poorer, to give him a loan with a high interest that increases his misery. If you are a good Christian, what reward do you expect from God?" If instead of seeking to help someone, you harm him, why do you plan to seek usury on your vain money that makes your brother poorer and you richer? Remember that he from whom you seek usury is poor in need, for whose sake Christ became poor in need. Know that whether, uh, know that whether you do goodness or evil, you do it to Christ. So again, the kind of a meditation about this idea of why is it that God commanded not to, um, not to charge any interest when making these personal loans. There's also the command to lend to the poor, those people who are in need, which is the situation we have here. Um, in Deuteronomy 15, it says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, the seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give it to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give it to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works, and in all which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land." Okay, so here is something interesting that's said in this command um, when he is saying, what, Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, 
the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. What does that mean? What is, it, what is the significance of the seventh year? Yes, so there's it's the Sabbath year. They take rest. What else happens on that year? The slaves go free. What else happens? Because we're talking here about about they don't work the land. What else happens? Because here we're talking in the context of lending money to the poor. The debts are forgiven, right? So here he's saying, if like let's say you're on the sixth year, and the next year that you know that the debts are going to be forgiven. So he's saying, don't be wicked. Like, don't have these wicked thoughts in your heart that is like, I'm not going to lend uh, the money this year because I know that next year the debts will be forgiven. I'm not going to get repaid, right? So so he's, he, this is the commandment to lend to the poor, okay? So what I'm trying to emphasize here is that um, th what was happening uh, in Jerusalem at this time where all of these people were having to sell their lands and to sell their children into slavery and to all of this, um, it was because they, number one, they were poor and no one was helping them, contrary to the commandment of God. Two, also, they were being charged high amounts of interest by the rich Jewish people, so that also was against the commandment of God, and that's what put them in this difficult situation. Okay. And I became very angry. So this is Nehemiah. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exact exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. Okay. So here it's, it's saying Nehemiah became very angry. What did he do with his anger? He took action. What kind of action? Yeah, he called a great assembly. Like So he's going to have a meeting, right? He's going to have a meeting. Why is he going to have a meeting? Because he wants to explain and to tell the people what's going wrong and what is it they should do about it, right? What he didn't do is he became violent and aggressive and like shouting and yelling and breaking things and, you know, blaming people like he's just he even the way that he is dealing with the conflict that's happening in this ministry of his he's doing it in a wise way he sees something wrong that shouldn't be happening he's recognizing that it's wrong he feels upset about it but then he's taking a positive action to try to correct it right as opposed to sometimes what we do is we take destructive action action that actually makes things worse where we yell at people or we mock them we insult them we belittle them we all kinds of stuff that's not actually helping you know i compare this to like always like the example of moses when he was coming down the mountain with the two tablets and he saw that all the people were uh were worshiping the golden calf and what did he do he took the tablets and he smashed them on the ground right like that was not a um, that was not a constructive act right and god had to make the tablets again so so it's one thing to recognize that there's something that's wrong right but then it's another thing to 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 take the appropriate action at the right time in the right way whenever we see that there is something wrong and this is one of the strengths of nehemiah right is that he's not only like he has a vision and he has taking initiative and he's intelligent and he's planning right but also whenever there's obstacles and whenever there's challenges he knows how to deal with them um, in the right way and i said to them according to our ability 
we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. What is he saying to them? What is the argument that he is making to them and this big assembly that he called them for? Yeah, it's like, you know, our people were slaves in a foreign land, right? And so we are redeeming them. We are bringing them back to their home. But now you are enslaving them, right? So so how does that even make any sense? Like, wha- how is it that we are, we, are, we are supposed to be, like, freeing them and benefiting them and, and for them to come here and be sold again into slavery, right? So when he made this argument, the people were silent. Like, they didn't, they didn't have any way they could defend themselves, right, because of this. So he was successful and being able to convince the people that what they were doing was wrong. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Right? So, you know, um, he's saying our enemies are going to blaspheme God because of your behavior. Right? Like like when 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 God punished King David for the sin that he committed with Bathsheba, he told him that the reason he was punishing him was because he gave the enemies of God a reason to blaspheme him. They, they Because they said, if these are the people of God who are the followers of God and this is the way that they are acting, so it is like belittling to God, right? Like God is mocked because of their behavior. So here also he is saying, we should walk, we, we should we should not walk, uh, should we? Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations? Like the, the rest of the nations, if we do not fear God, they're going to mock us, they're going to belittle us, and they're going to blaspheme the name of God too. I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. So he's saying Nehemiah himself is lending money to the people with no interest, right? Because the interest was causing um, a lot of the problem. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So everything that they had sold in order to get the money to be able to pay the, the king's tax, right, was returned back to them again. And this hundredth of money, when it says also a hundredth of the money, a hundredth of the money is 1%, right? And so this was the interest that was being charged to them every month. So it was like the equivalent of paying 12% interest on the loan, right? So every month they would pay back 1% of the 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 charge uh the interest of the money that was lent and so they could never recover from this there was always they were always going to remain poor um so he's telling them return everything you've taken and, and the interest as well so they said we will restore it and will require nothing from them we will do as you say then i called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise okay so he went then to the priests and he said to them you are the one who is going to enforce this law, right? It is the, the role of the priest. This is the, the commandment of God, actually. This is not a commandment that, um, that Nehemiah created himself. He's telling them this is what the Torah says. This is what God had commanded us. It says not to charge interest and to, uh, you know, and, to, and to lend to the poor, right? And so he's saying this is what we will do. And, and it was the role of the, the priest to maintain this order, right, and to keep the people accountable. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. 
Then the people did according to this promise. Okay, so he's kind of giving them this visual example. He's like shaking out his clothes and he's saying anyone who, who disobeys this, God is going to essentially uh, reject him, right? And he's going to lose his own house. So, so he's getting like pe the people to promise that they were going to abide by this and the people said, Amen and praise the Lord. So the, the goal of this assembly, this large meeting, was to rebuke the people, get them to understand, and they did, and they all consented, so it was successful in the end. Okay. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides forty shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. So Nehemiah himself was entitled to um, provisions from the people, kind of like his, like a tax that would be paid to him as the governor. And he's saying the governors that came before it, him, we're oppressing the people with this tax, but Nehemiah has waived his right to it, right? And 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 he's not taking anything from anyone. So he is kind of using himself as an example of what he is calling the other people to do. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. So he opened out, he opened up his house to also feed those who are in need, to help those people who are poor who are living there. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of all this, I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. So he is, he is sacrificing what is his right, uh, and the abundance that he has access to as the governor, and he is giving it to the people to help to to feed uh, to feed them. Okay, that is chapter five. Any questions about chapter five? Okay. So in chapter six, there's going to be more uh, resistance uh, from the enemies. It says now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. So they had finished the wall, but they hadn't put up all of the doors of the gates. Um, so the enemies heard this. Okay, uh, that, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. Okay, So they wanted to have a meeting. Uh, and the purpose of the meeting was to intimidate uh, him more or maybe even to kill him. There could be some deception involved, and they wanted to disrupt the work and to, keep, to slow things down or to harm Nehemiah in some way. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? So Nehemiah, of course, discerned that it is not a good idea for him to go and to meet with them because what is it that he is going to say? In the end, like this is the city of God. These people have no say in the work that it is being done. 
Nehemiah feels like God is the one calling him to do this work and that he's going to, f to continue to work and complete it. And he knows that these people are his enemies and they simply want to intimidate him and to stop the work. So there was no reason for him to go and meet with them. But he did send the messengers and he pretty much said, I'm not coming, right? I'm not going to come to, to waste my time uh, doing something that was useless, okay? So this, again, we can maybe learn something from Nehemiah about setting our priorities, right? Um, a person who has many, many responsibilities, there's always, there's always going to be some things that are important that need to be done. In this case, of course, it's the building of the wall. And there's going to be other demands on our time that maybe are not important, right? And the, the wise person is the one who can discern between the two. What is it that I should do? How is it that I should spend my time versus what are the things that are just going to be wasteful? You know, sometimes there's people who, who require a lot of our time, but for things that are really not necessary, right? And so maybe we find we are we're, like a lot of our time is being consumed in things that are not necessary. So we have to ask ourselves, what is really important and necessary um, uh, about it? It reminded me actually of um, uh, a meditation uh, of, of His Holiness Pope Shenouda. Um, and he spoke about that there was a monk who was praying. Uh, and then while he was praying, there is angels that came and appeared um, to the monk. But as, he, as, as the angels came, the monk didn't stop praying and he didn't even look at the angels because he said, like, I'm going to continue my prayer to God. Even the angels, I'm, I'm not going to even let the angels to be a distraction to me um, while I am praying. So I thought it was interesting, like in his meditation, that even something like that, like you can imagine that if someone is so focused in their prayer that even if angels appear to them while they're praying, like they don't even like skip a beat. They just keep praying. They don't even look at the angels. Like it's so normal for them. Um, in Romans 8, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So no distractions, right, from our focus which is, um, which is Christ. And here um, Nehemiah did not allow anything to distract him. But they sent me this message four times. Right. And I answered them the same uh, in the same manner. So they were very like persistent. And sometimes when we uh, are, are pestered over and over and over and over by a person who wants our attention, we'll eventually just give in because of our exhaustion and fatigue with having to deal with it. We'll be it's faster. It's better for me to just deal with it rather than to keep having to set my boundary and say no, 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 no. And even though it, it seems like maybe in the moment that's the more prudent thing to do, uh, because, you know, if I address the need of this person, then they'll stop bothering me, right? But actually, maybe in, the, in this case, yes, but maybe it's setting a precedent that in the future that person might come again, right, and try to ask me the same thing again. So by, by, by establishing a boundary that's a firm boundary, that I'm going to say, no, I, I, I don't, I'm not planning to do this. I'm not going to do this. I don't want to consider this. Please stop talking to me about it. Right? Like over time, the person's eventually going to understand that this isn't something they should approach me with again. And it, it might save me time in the long run, even though in, in the short term, like it, it's, it's maybe difficult to deal with. But here, again, the same message four times, and each time he answered them. The other interesting thing is that he answered you know, like he didn't have to answer. He didn't even have to say anything. You just ignore the people who are coming to him, right? Saying these people are, are like, you know, are burdensome to me and I'm not even going to respond to them at all. I'm just ignore them completely. Like he's going to ghost them, right? But that's not what he did. You know, it says he answered them. And every time the answer was the same. No, I'm not coming, right? So, but it, it shows like even Nehemiah showed them kind of some kind of respect, 
of just responding, right, to what it is that they were asking him to do. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. Okay, what's the significance of this being an open letter? What is an open letter? What's a closed letter? A closed letter is this letter that is sealed, right? So the messenger and no one else knows its contents. But an open letter is not sealed. So if you're going to send an open letter, why, why would you want it to be open? Because you want the people to, to know what's in it, right? Like if I'm sending a specific person a closed letter, then I only want that person to read it. But if I'm sending an open letter, I'm expecting everyone to read it. Actually, you know, when people write open letters on the internet, they write a letter to a person, but then they post it online so all the universe knows what's, what's in it, right? So that's an open letter. So the, the fifth time, after the first four times, Yemaya said, no, I'm not going to meet. So now he's very persistent, Sanbalat, and he says, I'm going to send an open letter, okay? Um, and this way, because he, he's going to accuse Nehemiah of things, and he wants everyone to know the accusation. Because there is this, this trend, you know, that we have in our society as human beings, really, is that whenever someone is accused of something, a lot of times we tend to believe it's true just because there was an accusation, right? Like, think of the t all the times where you've heard of someone accused of something, and you automatically assume that they're guilty. Just because someone said that they did something, right? They're guilty, okay? W but here, of course, Nehemiah was not guilty, of what is it that they're going to accuse him of, but he wanted to create, Sambalat wanted to create like the sense of like scandal, right? There's a scandal happening. And Nehemiah is a scandalous man and he is not honest in what he is doing and he has ulterior motive in what he is doing and so you should not follow him. So he is like, they're trying to undermine his authority, right? Trying to undermine uh, the, the his following because the reason so far that he has been successful is because everyone trusted him. Right, everyone trusted Nehemiah, and if 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 people didn't trust Nehemiah anymore, they thought that Nehemiah was a wicked man or doing things for selfish purposes, then they wouldn't follow him, and the the wall again would not be complete. So this is what their letter said. In it was written, "It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall <coughs> that you may be their king." And that, and you ha all have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, "There is a king in Judah." Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. So he's saying the reason we want to meet with you, Nehemiah, is because we heard that you are rebuilding Jerusalem so that you can declare yourself to be a king and that you can rebel against the king of Persia, right? And um, and so this is all for selfish purposes, right? You're not doing this for any reason other than you want to have power and influence, okay? And again, if the people believe this, then maybe they would reconsider whether they wanted to work with Nehemiah to help him uh, or not. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart, right? So he, he's responding and he says, this is, all, this is all like your own fabrication. Of course, Nehemiah knows very well that the only reason they're doing this is because they are trying to influence the people to undermine his reputation, to get people to question, like maybe we shouldn't be following him, maybe this is true, and so on and so on. But Nehemiah responded, again, very respectfully, 
right? Very respectfully. In every way we see Nehemiah dealing with people, it's very respectfully and and um, and responding to them according to what they have said, right? Not in not in rage, right? Not in a destructive way, but in a very clear way. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hand. So he recognized that this was a tactic, and this tactic was to distract from the work, get people to, to stop working, and to, to change our focus from the work that we're trying to finish to some, pol some politics, some controversies, some things that are, you know, um, th what is the news of the day? Uh, did you hear what they said about Nehemiah, that he actually wants to be king? Oh, you know, and it's gossiping and rumors back and forth, right? Inst and the people, instead of working, they're just like talking about this and starting to build up factions and divisions and, and maybe other people want to be rulers and kings and whatnot. And like, it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's using the weaknesses of the human nature against us, okay? And this is why he said their hands will be weakened in the work. We won't be able to finish the work because of um, all of this controversy. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. So this man, Shemaiah, okay, he was a spy and he was hired by Sanballat um, to try and instill fear in Nehemiah by claiming that his life was in danger. That's why it says that he was a secret informer. So he was there among the Jewish people, among those who were working uh, to build, okay, but actually he was working for Sanballat in order to report back to him whatever it is that was happening, and that's how they knew what was happening because they had, like, the spy uh, there. So he is now still, one more distraction, he's telling him, oh, they're actually coming to kill you. You should fear for your life and go and hide inside the temple um, because tonight they are going to come and kill you, right? And again, the reason why is because he wanted the work to cease. They were doing everything they could in order to prevent the work from continuing. And I said, should such a man as I flee, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in, right? So he refused to go. He's not afraid of whatever it is they're accusing him of. They've already been making accusations and they're, they're already uh, intimidating and, and threatening and, and saying they're going to come and attack, right, all of this time. So Nehemiah was not afraid of them and he continued as he was uh, leading the work. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for evil report, that they might reproach me. So when Nehemiah like refused to hide, at that time he didn't know that this was not true. right? Like He didn't know that, that this was all a lie and a fabrication and that this man was a spy. Um, he just heard this like from a man saying, oh, I heard that they're coming to kill you. But he didn't. He was. He was not afraid. He didn't. He, ru he didn't run away. But then God revealed to him um, that this man was actually a traitor. Right? He was not honest. He should not be trusted. And that he was there just to undermine the work. My God remembered Tobiah and Sanballat according to to these their works and the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Uh, this is the first time we hear about this prophetess Nodiah. There's no mention of her anywhere else. 
Um, but he's asking God to give those people who are his enemies what is it that they deserve because they are trying to hinder the work of rebuilding the city of God. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul, so one of the months uh, of the Jewish calendar, uh, uh, in 52 days. So as we said at the beginning, the whole work was done in less than two months, which is really amazing considering the size of the wall. Um, of course, they didn't have advanced modern tools like we have. It was all very primitive tools and all the threats that was against them the whole time. For them to be able to do this um, in 52 days is, is really remarkable. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, that all and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by God. Right, so they saw that it was done by God because it was miraculous. Like the way that it was done, the, 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 the way it was planned, the resources and where the resources came from and the speed by which it was done and the way that Nehemiah was able to, um, you know, get all the people to work together, right? All of these things showed that it was really like the work of God. And so they perceived that this work was done by God because of how good it was. You know, like, like there are some things that we see, we see there's no way that this could be done apart from the hand of God. Like I remember when Mohammed Morsi, who was the president of Egypt, um, before the current president, he was he was there after the revolution had happened, and so and all the Christians like despised him. He was going to like ruin the country, um, and and many of the Muslims despised him too. And no one could have imagined what would have had to happen in order for him to be removed. But in one night, he was removed, right? Like when suddenly, like everyone got together and there was a, a coup against him, and 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 all the people revolted against him, and he was removed. Like something like that. When you look at it now. We're like, okay, this was the hand of God working. Like it wasn't, there wasn't like no no one person could have come up with this, unless all these different factors had to kind of come together in order for it to to kind of take place. So so here you can see the work of God in the rebuilding of the wall that He really did want it, and that this plan of rebuilding the wall had started long before even Nehemiah had arrived, right? Because God was preparing Nehemiah. And and Nehemiah was praying and fasting, and Nehemiah went to the king, and Nehemiah asked for the resources, and he traveled there. And of course, this was a long travel, this long trip. It's not like something that was very close, right? And all these things happened, and the people were ready. And so, like, definitely, like everyone could perceive that God was behind this work because of the way that it that, that happened. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them, for many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehohan, Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Okay, so what is this? So there were many people who, many Jews in Judah, um, who were of the nobles. Okay, so they were the, the richer ones. Um, and, uh, of course, the richer ones could have some uh, res uh, resentment toward Nehemiah because he came and told them that you have to, you know, that you are uh, oppressing the poor and you have to give them back their money and give them back their land and like all of this stuff. Okay, so there was this group of people who were the, the, the more wealthy uh, in Judah who were like, um, like in, in correspondence with Tobiah, back and forth. Okay, um, and they were, it says they were pledged to him. Okay, and why? So it says what, Shechaniah, he was of the family of Era who had come to Judah with Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel was the leader who brought the people in the first return, okay, the first return from captivity. 
was under Zerubbabel, and there was a man whose name was Shechaniah who came with him. Okay, Tobiah, who is the he was he's the the guy that who's with Sanballat as the governor. Okay, he's the uh, who was against the building of the wall. Tobiah had married the daughter of Shechaniah. Okay, so Shechaniah came in the first return. He had a daughter. Tobiah married the daughter of Shechaniah. Okay, and Tobiah's daughter ha had married a daughter of Mashulam. Mashulam, Mashulam, right? Mashulam was one of the builders of the wall, and he's mentioned in chapter three. Okay, so there was this like connection between Tobiah, who is outside, who is not Jewish, to the Jewish people who are inside, and this is how there became this connection, right? And that the people who were of this noble um, status uh, had this connection with Tobiah, like through family connection. Okay, and and this was le leading to these conspiracies of trying to overthrow Nehemiah and how Tobiah became he became to know like the things that are happening um, inside of Israel. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So these people who were the traitors, these nobles who were kind of like you know, had allegiances and pledged them themselves to Tobiah, they would come and try to convince Nehemiah that Tobiah was a good guy, right? It's like, oh, he's very good, all the stuff, you shouldn't resist him, you should do what he says, you should invite him, you should talk to him, all of this stuff, right? He should be trusted. And then they would also, um, would they, they would, Tobiah kept sending letters to Nehemiah to try to stop him. So you see in the end, all of the things that all of the people tried to do against Nehemiah to stop the work, it all failed, and actually nothing even happened, right? Nothing actually happened. Um, they, they kept intimidating them. They told them they were going to attack. They never did attack, right? All those people who were ready to, to defend themselves, they never even had to defend themselves because there was no attack that even came, right? So, so it's like all like fear tactics that the people used against Nehemiah and the people in order to try to um, stop them, but Nehemiah and his faith and his you know, in his wisdom, he was able to deal with every situation, not just from the outside, like the building of the wall, but as we said at the beginning, even to deal with the problems that were internal, like the problems of the poor people who were there, um, the problems of the famine, um, the oppression, the interest that had to be paid, the selling of the children into slavery, like all of those things were all problems that Nehemiah could have potentially not really worried about them, saying, look, hey, we're in an emergency. All we got to focus now is building the wall. We don't have time to deal with this. Maybe we can talk about it later. But no, actually, even while he was in the middle of all of this and having these enemies attack him, he was still trying to deal with the needs of the people, right? Which, again, it, it, it adds a, another dimension to Nehemiah and how he was such a good leader, right? Because his focus was not only on the task that had to be completed, but it was on the people who were the ones completing the task, and so that's what made him to be successful, and that's why he was respected, because the people appreciated what is it that he was doing for them. Okay? And glory be to God forever. Amen. Any questions about these two chapters? Um... Well, because because he, they're trying to intimidate him to stop the work, right? So he's saying, like, I'm going to stop the work, and that would be a sin, like, for me to stop the work of God. Yeah. 
Yes, and this was the big problem because the, the one of the main reasons that they went into captivity to begin with was because of the intermarriage between the Jews and the, the other nations around them, which then caused them to worship idols, right? And then the whole idol worship is what led to the captivity and the exile. And so when the people returned, unfortunately, they continued this practice. And actually it's mentioned in the book of Ezra um, of when, when the people returned and, and, that, and that Ezra rebuked them. And he's saying, like, you, you, this is the whole reason why we went to exile to begin with. And now the people are doing it again. So unfortunately, this practice um, continued even after they returned. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, come pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing, and we ask that we learn for all the lessons that we can from this figure, Nehemiah, whom you have given us to study and learn from. We thank you, O God, for his wisdom, and we ask that you grant us the same wisdom that he had and the same um, vision, the same leadership, the same way, O Lord, that he was able to deal with all the different problems that were happening and calmness and, and with discernment, and that he was able to serve the people, O Lord, while also completing the task you called him to do. We ask, O God, that you strengthen us and you strengthen the church through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints. Here it says we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all go in peace of peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.